Sometimes I, <clears throat> when we do a lot of scripture reading, I, sometimes I think we're not used to it as we used, as people were in the past. Scripture reading was really key to the gathering of God's people, um, primarily because a lot of people couldn't read. And so the, the, the scriptures were read aloud. And I think it's in Paul writing to Timothy, he says, do not despise the public reading of scripture. There's something very powerful about a people gathering around this written word, this, this story, this, these words from God that have been spoken through men and women <clears throat> to God's people. And so we're coming to the end of this series on that Brian entitled The Presence of Hope, which is a great, great title. It's heaven and, and earth connecting, temple, the presence of God. And um, so we're going to tie it up today by looking at consummation. So that we started, we did it, we've, we've done the whole Bible in six weeks. It's quite profound if you actually think about it. Um, so the first week we looked at creation, the temple, I mean the garden as temple, place where God and humanity connected, where they could walk in the cool of the day face to face and communicate. The second week we looked at the rest of the Old Testament in the light that God connecting with his people, the Jews. And we looked at God meeting with them on a mountain, God meeting with them in a tent, God meeting with them in a traveling tabernacle, then God meeting with them in an established built temple. And in that, there are all sorts of other Jacob's ladder, all sorts of places where God met with humanity, the burning bush, a lot of those. And then we jumped into the New Testament and Rick Martinez did his little bit looking at Jesus coming and being the place where the divine and the human connect in the person of Jesus. And then we looked on Easter very briefly, and I'm going to redo that talk as a full talk, which will go onto the web, um, looking at death and resurrection, the death of Jesus, the resurrection, as a whole new way for God to connect with humanity and humanity to connect with God in a, in a totally different way. We become this body. Then last week, and I have heard us astounding uh, reports from last week, Brian. Um, Brian looked at the people of God, the church, and the importance of the church as the place where God and humanity cr uh, connect again. Jesus being the head, this, this body, the church, the ecclesia, these called out ones, the place where God connects. And, I, and the thing that I loved that Brian said is in, in my words is that the church is not an optional extra. The church is actually everything that God is doing. It's through the church. That through the church, God will make known his manifold wisdom. He's not doing it just through individuals. He's doing it through the church, a called out people. Individually, we are not the ecclesia. Together, we are the ecclesia as we join with others around the world. And then today, we're going to look at the end consummation, the very end of the age. We're, going to, we're jumping into that little bit of revelation, and we'll look at a few other texts as well. But in 1 Peter, he opens his letter, and he's writing this letter to people who are in exile, who have been scattered. And he says, Blessed, this is chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And I want you to, as we think, we're going to unpack this word hope a lot today. 
We have been born again to a living hope. We haven't just been born again, which is we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This hope is because Jesus rose from the dead. As we've said many times in the past, I could stand up here today and say, I'm going to die for you. And you can nail me to that little thing there. I am dying for you. But it means nothing unless I come back from the dead and say, see, I told you. The resurrection is key. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is what gives us a living hope. That there is something coming down the road that will make things right. That there's a place for me to be raised up in a whole new way. So we have this this living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. We're not, it's not that we're just going to be raised up. Our hope is that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Are you picking that up? Do we need to close the door? You're all right. They've got them. I gave them to Laura. Yeah. Um, yeah, I gave them to Laura. Do you, do you see that? We've been say, born again to a living hope that's because of Jesus' resurrection, and it, it's about an inheritance that has been stored up for us. It's imperishable. It's unfading. It's, it's ours. It's been held for a time. And therefore, we have hope for that time. The consummation when all things will be made right. So if you jump further in 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm just going to read a verse. You don't have to go there. He um, says, Have no fear of them, Peter writing, nor be troubled. He's talking about the way they interact with people. But in your hearts, honor Christ as, as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Evangelism is when people ask you something and you give a reason for the hope that is in you. If you have no hope in you, there is no reason to evangelize. Because what are you evangelizing to? You're evangelizing because you have a hope inside of you. Because you've been born again to this living hope because of Jesus. You have a hope in you. Um, I think it was Dallas Willard who said, Jesus said to his, people, his disciples when he sent them out, you need to be as wise as serpents, as gentle as doves. Do you remember that text? I can't remember the exact reference. Why did he say wise as serpents? We know gentle of doves means we need to be kind to one another. Don't, we don't force ourselves on people. And he said this, and I've never heard this before. Maybe it's all new. It's old hat to you, but it's brand new to me, and it was brought great revelation to me. He said, because most snakes don't go after their prey. They wait. They wait. They lie on the path. They lie in hiding. They wait for the prey to come to them. And if we're going to be as wise as serpents, our evangelism is we wait because we live a life and we wait for people to come. And ask us. Now, we, are, we, we know we've been sent into the world. It's not like we don't. We, we have been sent. We're in the world. But in that, as seeds grow, we wait for people to say, what is, Why have you got hope? Why, when life is crazy, are you full of joy? 
Well, I'll tell you why. I have a reason for this hope, and you can unpack it. Does that make sense? So turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, because I'm going to talk a little bit about hope now. And I'm, it is tied to Revelation, by the way. Very important. Because the Revelation story, the bits that we read, and we, we just have pulled a few out of the last two chapters, is this image of what will come, what we look forward to. And there's a rejoicing. There's a, there's a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's, a, there's the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, the bride, the people of God. So I'm going to read a few verses from Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. I want to read that from the NIV because it explains something a little opens it up a little more. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Do you see that? The, the ESV has got it implied. The NIV just opens it up a little bit. He says, We have faith and we have love because of hope, because we have a hope stored up for us in heaven. So if we have no hope, it's almost impossible to have faith and to live in the way that God wants us to live, to live in love, in the kind of love that Jesus asks us to live in. Faith and hope come, I mean, faith and love come from hope. Someone said to me in our church a few weeks ago, said one of the reasons when, if I get out of bed and I feel excited is when I have hope. When I feel hopeless, I don't want to get out of bed. And at the, end, at the heart of depression is when you lose hope that any good can come, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in a, can I get a job? Maybe it's for the Thornbergs. Can we get a house? You know something? When you lose hope, then everything else, your faith begins to dwindle. And I'm seeing all across the churches, the churches I know, and I know a lot of people in a lot of churches. I know a lot of pastors. People are exiting the church. Why? Because they've lost hope. They've lost a reason to believe. They're not, they feel like they're not seeing. We're not seeing Jesus coming through and doing things. People are losing hope. And when hope goes, faith dies. When faith dies, there's no reason to, to love extensively. We need hope. What is Obama's first book? What did he call it? Sorry? About hope. When I remember watching... Interviews with Mandela. How did you keep going? Hope. We need hope. Hope gives drives, gives us faith, gives us love. N.T. Wright says, The solid facts about the future hope of Christians are a powerful motivation for constant faith and costly love 
in the present. Can I read that again? The solid facts about the future hope of Christians are a powerful motivation for constant faith and costly love in the present. Because we call to live in the present, isn't that right? But we live in the present well because we have a hope in the future. And what's a definition of hope? A simple definition is confidence in a good future. In our politics, people, you know, they vote for a, a, a candidate or a party because they, they've got hope. They're going to change things. And then you, it doesn't matter which party you're on, within a few months, because you lose hope because the system doesn't change. Hebrews 11.1, 1, great definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, you can't have faith. You can't have the, you can't have the godly faith that Jesus speaks about. Faith does not live in a vacuum. So when we say someone is sick and we say, just have faith and you'll be healed. Or, you know, you're struggling financially. Just believe. You have faith. You'll, everything will come right. You know, faith does not exist in a vacuum. It exists on solid reality of hope in something that we know to be true. Not on ethereal things. That's why the essence of the gospel is so important. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is crucial to our faith. Without the resurrection... There is no hope. Can I ask that? Do you all hear that? Without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which promises a future resurrection for all of us, there is no hope. And with no hope, let's give up and just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Oh, breathe. Faith does not live in a vacuum. It must attach itself to something. What's it attaching? The certainty of something, a treasure, an inheritance laid up for us by Jesus. Why? How do we know? Because he rose from the dead. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, go do some investigation. There's some amazing material because it's crucial to everything that we believe. You see, this hope that's laid up for us in essence is Christ himself because we're going to be joined with him and we're going to be one because we are the body of Christ, being joined to the head in oneness, eternal unity with Jesus, which is what Revelation points to. In Colossians, when it speaks about you and your, it's always using the second person plural. It's not talking about you as an individual. It's talking about us as community. Paul is writing this to a people, a group of people, a church in Colossae. And these letters got read all around. They were written to people. So that word you is not personal. It's, it's corporate. All right? It's hope that we share as community. So when we reduce our faith to my personal faith in Jesus, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, etc. We miss the broadness of what Jesus intended when he birthed Ecclesia, which was community sent out, called out to live God life, to share eternity together as the bride of Christ in the future. It's not about you. It's about us. 
of which you are a part. Does that make sense? It kind of spits in the face of individualism. Because we've reduced it to us. I got born again. I met Jesus. The way I describe it is faith is very personal salvation, but it's not private. You're part of something. You get born into something. You don't just get born again out of something. You get born again into something, into a body, into a community of people. First the natural, then the spiritual. Am I, is this too elementary or are we okay? First the natural, then the spiritual. When you were born, you were in your mother's womb. You were born as a human being. You came out fully human. Owen Evan there, that's my name for him, is the moment he was born, he was fully human. He is fully human. He's not mature human, but he is fully human. But when he was born, the nurse didn't say, well, thank you so much. I have this fully full human here. Put him on the street. Get on with life. That full human would have died because that full human was immature. That full human, as part of the human race, had to be put into specific family to grow. First the natural, then the spiritual. When you are born again, you are fully son-daughter. Of the living God. You are fully Christian, but you are immature. You don't just go, get on the street, go for it, have a nice life. You are part of the body. You will die. You get put into specific family, local church, community where you can mature. But we don't like the process of maturity because we hate it when people tell us we're wrong. You shouldn't do that. How do we know? Because in the spiritual, kids do exactly the same thing. They don't like to be told that they're doing wrong or they need to correct or whatever. First, this. Natural, then the spiritual. They go together. Is that right? We've got, we, we, we got to grow. So this thing is us together. The Christian community, someone wrote, has its roots in the future and its branches in the present. The Christian community has its roots in the future, but its branches in the present. Quite an important way to think about what God's church is like. Our hope is tied to the story of Jesus and it becoming our story. Um, because we're the body of Christ. He's the head. So his story becomes our story. Those stories join. And it's not apart from him. It's joined together with him. And it's a four-part story, which we would call the gospel, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus. Those are important facts. They they're solid facts that we can anchor to. Um, I won't go into this, but if you, in Colossians, you just go through, you'll see all of these, Paul unpacking each one of these four things to explain something about this gospel and what we anchor to. But there's an old, ancient saying among the church was, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. They used to, the church used to say that to one another. On Easter Sunday, they would say, He is risen. Well, they say, peace be with you. And also, he said, these are, these are not just things that are in some sort of denominational church. They were, they were the words of the ancient church that were used to remind people about the faith and the way that we were meant to live. So they would say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the hope 
Because Christ died and because Christ rose, there's this hope that he is coming again. And we look forward with anticipation for that. This hope of Jesus' future return is when all things, as we read in Revelation, we'll come back to that, will be made right. All things will be made new. Everything that's wrong will be set right. And all sin will be gone. All misunderstanding, finished. All sickness, gone. All tears, wiped. Everything. All things will be made new. That's what we're anchoring ourselves into. It's what binds us together as gospel community. This expectation of what lies ahead. That we journey together towards something. Otherwise, what are we doing? We are a community. We are disciples of Jesus in community to live God life in this world with an expectation of what is coming that empowers us for this journey. And Jesus says, and from here until you get there, I'm going to send one just like me to come and strengthen you and be with you and walk alongside you. Allos parakletos, Holy Spirit, one just like Jesus to walk alongside us and help until that day. When that day comes, we won't need the Holy Spirit in that way. But until then, until we get to our future hope, to our inheritance that's been stored up, the Holy Spirit leads us together as community as the fire and the cloud led the people of God through the wilderness into the promised land. This hope, this identity of who we are in Christ determines our actions, behavior, our lifestyle as God's community in the present. N.T. Wright, some of you, if you like N.T. Wright, said the indicative, who we are, must precede the imperative, how we should live. Who we are determines how we should live. In many ways, we want people to live a certain way so then they become something. No, we become something in Christ and then we call to live a certain way. To understand who we are, we have to realize that we are a people whose roots are from another world. Sounds like aliens. Maybe we're the guardians of the galaxy, volume seven. I don't know. To understand who we are, we have to realize that we are a people whose roots are from another world. That is precisely why we are a peculiar people. Because we're from another world. So if we want to, I'm going to read from 1 Peter again. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, famous text. It's one of my favorites in all the Bible. It says, but you, Peter writing to this people that have been dispersed. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who was raised on the King James Bible? Anybody? Does anyone know what it says in that verse? It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people of his own possession. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. When he makes covenant, he says, You will be my peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean weird, because today peculiar means, oh, kind of weird. But it means a set apart. It means a people that's different from everyone else. We are a peculiar people. 
Because we act differently from the rest of the world, or we meant to. Why? Because we have a hope. We don't have to live like him. We don't have to crawl over people to get to the top. We just we trust the Lord because he's provided something for us. Um, so should we give an example of what it means to be a peculiar people? Anyone interested in that? I'm going to turn to Romans 12. Are we doing all right? I'm nearly finished. About another half hour. Romans 12. I'm going to read from verse 10. This is, this is a signs of a peculiar people. This is a signs of a people who are, live differently from the world, who live in a rotten world, but live differently because they have a hope. They can do this because they are assured of something in the future. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That flies in the face of what it means to live in our culture today. That's the, the way of living of a peculiar people. We can live like that, the imperative to live differently because of who we are and who we associate with and what we have stored for us because we have hope. Does this make sense? Or is this kind of too ethereal? Hope, because we have a future. It doesn't matter what happens here. If you lose everything here on earth, you have something that is un imperishable, untouchable, unscathed that God has for us for all eternity. That doesn't mean we live case or ass or whatever will be, will be, fatalistic. That does not what it says. We still work hard. We love well. We care. We do all those things. We live in community. It says, show one another love. We make, there are no needs among us. We care. We do all those things. Why? Because we have hope. If you have no hope, then live for yourself. Make as much money as you can. Rise to the highest positions in your company. Isolate yourself in your home. Don't, in, don't interact with anyone, especially people that are not at the same social status as you. Please don't do that. Just do your own thing and then die. But if you have hope in the resurrection of Jesus and what he stored for us, then you can do mighty things. You can live expansively and dangerously and full of faith and love in a way that no one else can love. Because you know who you are. And my concern for the church, our church, all the churches, and often we forget who we are. We forget who we are. We forget. I love this, just, you know, Stand up in the morning, and when you look in the mirror, you ladies, when you're doing your makeup, brushing your teeth, whatever you do, plucking your eyebrows, guys, when you stand and you shave and pluck in your eyebrows, whatever you do, 
just look and say, I've got to remember who I am. Fair enough? You've got to remember who you are. I am a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High who's promised me an inheritance and therefore I live today with hope. The book of Revelation is glorious because it gives us some glimpses to what things will look like. Will it look exactly like that? I don't know. It's John's interpretation of what he sees in the prophetic. But even that is glorious. Okay, let's turn back to the book of Revelation. Well, yeah, nearly done. I'll just go through those texts again because they are wonderful and look at a few things. Remember, consummation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Uh. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. New Jerusalem. So if you can hold your finger there, I'm going to read one or two texts from Hebrews in the light of that, just to help us understand. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham heard God and he was looking forward to a city with foundations. Remember that text? It's really important to remember that. We'll jump to verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers in exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So even though they went into this promised land, this is what God promised him, this space. And the people came out 400 years later out of Egypt to the promised land. Abraham never saw that as the ultimate. This was a sign of what was to come. The promised land that they moved into, soil on the ground, Israel, was a sign of what was to come, where a city with foundations would be his inheritance. Do you see the connection? It's really important that you see that. So Abraham got the promised land, but he still saw himself as a wanderer, a pilgrim. If you chapter 12, verse 22, I'll read this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's the physical Jerusalem that exists. You, anyone been to Jerusalem? It's there. But our hope is not in that Jerusalem. Our hope is in the heavenly Jerusalem, that one with foundations. That's our hope. 
That's merely a sign that God has been faithful. But we look forward to that one. Um, And then I'll jump through one more verse. It says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And jump to verse 10. And he carried them away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed them the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. This city that Abraham longed for, the writer to the Hebrews unpacks Abraham, the city that he longed for, he believed in, that God had promised a city with foundations. John, in this revelation, gets a picture of this city, this new Jerusalem that has Foundations and its foundations are the apostles. Church is founded on the in Ephesians on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. His anchor, this these people that were called to go out with the gospel. The church is anchored in that as community. This community coming down. And then jump to verse 22, which is the important verse for us to understand, because we've been talking about temple. The place where heaven and earth connect. Is that right? Where humanity and God can connect. is temple. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There was no temple because God is the temple and we are the body. We are the bride. We are connected. There's no more need for a place to go connect because there is an eternal union. We are with God forever. There's no snake that represents something to draw us away. We, there will be perfect union. We don't need a temple. We don't need a burning bush. We don't need a garden. We don't need a mountaintop, a tent, a tabernacle, something made of stone. We don't need that because we are in full union with God as the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, he's at the very center of it. It's us. It's, it's, does it make sense? I don't know how to explain it. It's so glorious. But you don't need temple anymore. That's our hope. That's the consummation of the ages. What started in the garden ends in a city, a new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. Adorned beautifully. God in the very center. One. Founded. It's got foundations. There's no evil will be found in her. There's no sickness in her. There's no tears in her. There's no sin. There's no destruction. There's no disappointment. There's there's no divorce. There's no sickness. It's not there. It's all been outside. It's been discarded. This is, the, this is our hope. 
We can live today because we have hope of what is coming when God will make all things new. He'll put all things to right. You won't need the gifts operating because you'll be fully encouraged. You won't need to be someone to pray for you to be sick. You'll be whole. You won't need someone to give you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. To, to, no, you'll be fully known. You'll be one with the fully wise. I mean, that's our hope. Do you believe it? If you don't, you have time still. But don't delay. We live today. You can live dangerously today. When I, what I mean dangerously is not putting God to the test danger. I mean you can live dangerously living outside of yourself, out of your, the, the comfort of yourself. Because you are assured of something that is coming and it's not that far away as humans in terms of eternity. I'm in a month. I'm 58. So give me how, 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 how long do you think I might go for? You know, I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to 90. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah? That only gives me 32 years. In terms of eternity, I can hold on for 32 years and live extravagantly and dangerously now. Compared to eternity. But I only have to do it every day, one day at a time. Just one day at a time. I can go touch a leper and love a stranger and wash the feet of a dirty person and feed the homeless. and do all. The, I can do all of that. Why? Because it's not going to change me. It might change me to be more compassionate, yeah. But I, I should know who I am in Christ. To live dangerously, to love extravagantly. Well, never mind what's happening out there. What about what's here? This is our litmus test. This little group here. This is community where we walk out discipleship together, where we share life. This morning on EHS, we were talking, what, what are signs of emotional immaturity? One of them is just being offended too easily. No, we walk life out together as community. Why? Because we want to see each other finish well. I want to see each of you finish well. I want you to see me finish well. I don't want you, I don't want you to get to 65 and I just fall apart and you feel, what on earth? No, I want you to encourage me to finish well. I want you to finish well. Why? Because we can share that. But there is a scary, scary thing in the Bible which says, in the last days, many will fall away. <coughs> many will give up. It's happening everywhere. You know, I want to give up sometimes. This is so hard. I'd rather just eat, drink, and be merry. But that leads to hangovers. I don't like those either. 
I'm asking, I need your encouragement to finish well. I can't do this by myself. I'm a pretty independent sort of person, but I'm realizing I can't do this by myself. And I know you can't. You think you can. But wait till you get to 58, you'll realize that you can't. We need each other. We community. Scripture that Aaron read in the beginning from Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake the gathering of the believers. Why? It's where we encourage one another. It's where we remind each other who we are, what we're about. It's when we break bread together to remind ourselves of who we belong to and what that person has done for us. We do that together. Can I say this as clear and as concise as I know? You cannot be an effective, functioning, productive, faithful follower of Jesus without being in community. I don't care who you are, how strong you think you are, how much Bible you think you have, how deep your devotions are, or what some weird theologian tells you. It cannot be done. As they say in Mercy Town, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. And Jesus needed community. And Jesus came from community. Jesus went back to community. Jesus is preparing community. So when I irritate you, this week, oh, I'm out of town, so it can't be this week. Maybe I'll irritate you because I don't respond to your phone call. Don't walk away. How does that help anybody? Come and say, you let me down. Can I share our story? So today we, we looked at on EHS, which I don't like using the word EHS because I don't like short things. On the Emotional Healthy Spirituality course, we looked at expectations today. And realizing that most of the time we're disappointed because we haven't shared those expectations. I have an expectation of Nancy, but I never told her. And so she does something, I get freaked out with her, but she didn't know those type of things. And uh, trying to live to this place as we become whole emotionally to actually work on these things. So immediately after the meeting, I went to Aaron and I said, Heidi could not host today for whatever reason. Could you host? Because we you know we're putting together a hosting team and could you do this? Da, 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 da. And graciously, Aaron, great. Got you this afternoon. He called me out. He said, can we just talk outside? He said, we came together today and you, you just presumed on me. You, gave, you, you had an expectation of me that we hadn't discussed. We hadn't come to a place. Now we sorted it out. I was in the right, he was in the wrong. No. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about it is he could have said, I'm freaked out. Screw you, I'm not doing this. He actually said, no, let's talk this through. Let's make this right. Let's, let's, let's get health. That's a sign of becoming emotionally healthy. And I could have got freaked out. Who are you to challenge me? Don't you know I'm the leader? And all of you would go, nah. But we do those things in church because we live for here. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten where our hope is. We've forgotten what our future is 
and everything. No. I want to become whole at every level because I want to enter that one well. I don't want to get in by the sneaky of my fire and my pants, whatever that scripture says. Can you remember the text, Brian? Yeah, I butchered it so badly, but everyone understood what I was saying. Mind to everyone, you get in by the skin on your chinny chin chin. You know? I want to go, I want to enter well. I want to hear. When I come in, I, I want Jesus to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come in, enter in, enter in. Not, whew, you just made it. I don't want that. I was just about to close the door when I snuck in like an eel. Would you stand with me? Would you put up um, the last bit of, the, of that Revelation text from 22? Yeah. Right near the end, that last little bit is entitled, Jesus is coming back. He says, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. There's a song I can't remember. It's come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray for the return of Jesus. Why? Because we know what's waiting us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You can't pray that if you don't have a hope that he is coming. Could we say that again? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we, we stand as your people. And we ask that you would begin to more and more clearly show us as you show John in the book of Revelation, in this revelation, show us. Give us a glimpse of what you have stored for us. Let us anchor ourselves in a future hope that enables us to live today powerfully as community. Help us, Holy Spirit, as your people to love one another well, to care for one another well, to not be offended and not get hurt so easily, but to live well together, to become whole, that we might show the world what community should look like. We look forward to that day where it says in the new Jerusalem, the place of God's dwelling, which is us. He will be our God. He will be, we will be his people. The dwelling place of God is with man, with us. There is no need of temple. It's done. Finished. Completed. It's over. We thank you, Lord Jesus.